The Talk Shop. A very good evening to you and welcome to the talk shop on SAFM 104 to 107. I am Masichaba Mdolo. Tonight, it's a Monday, so we've got our talkback session and we're looking at electricity. We're asking, can South Africa ensure an adequate supply of electricity at an affordable price? We'll be joined in the studio by Lisa Haraway, who's a researcher with the Free Market Foundation. And on the line is the co-founder of Aurora Power Solutions, Simon Hall. So let's get right into it. Yet another electricity price hike and uh, South Africans are saying this is unfair. We cannot afford this. We're asking the question tonight, can South Africa ensure an adequate supply of electricity at an affordable price? And uh, we are um, dealing with a paper that was written by Lisa Haraway, a researcher with the Free Market Foundation. And uh, she says that uh, um, South Africa, while comparing um, other countries, uh, there are possible ways in which this country could bring down the cost of electricity. We'll talk about that more. And we're also joined on the line by the co-founder of Aurora Power Solutions, Simon Hall. Good evening to you, Lisa, and thank you so much for joining us. Welcome into our studios. Good evening, Masajaba. And Simon, good evening to you. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. Good evening. Good evening, Masajaba. Good evening to your listeners. And Lisa is joining us on our brand new studio. It's absolutely stunning. We're hoping that the sound coming through as well is as crisp and new as the studios are sitting in tonight. Lisa, let's kick off by focusing on the issue of how South Africa's electricity um, distribution is structured. Where is it largely focused? The electricity sector is basically generation, transmission, distribution, and we don't have a retail market. The dis- most of the distribution networks are owned by the local municipalities um, and are not necessarily in the hands of, of ESCOM, the vertically integrated monopoly. Um, but ESCOM, however, controls um, the majority of the um, generation and the transmission network and um, the a supply of a supply of electricity and determines the price. Mm-hmm. And um, when we look at the independent uh, producers, where are they? The independent private producers are largely in the renewable sector. However, it is practically they say that they allow independent private producers onto the grid. Um, but an is the ISMO bill, which is the independent systems operator bill, has been recently removed from the parliamentary schedule. Um, and this uh, bill proposes the transfer of transmission assets to an envisaged new state enterprise to, which would act independently from ESCOM. In other words, enabling independent private producers to uh, fair access to the grid, indiscriminate, you know, non-discriminatory access to the grid. This, however, has been taken off the table, and the IPPs are not managing to. Um, uh, it's not uh, to license their, their, their businesses and to actually gain access to the grid. Simon, what is your view with regards to the role that independent electricity producers can play in terms of ensuring an adequate supply of electricity? Yeah, thank you. I, I, I agree with, with Lisa's uh, comment there with regards to the ISMA board. I think that is a very important piece of legislation which at the moment is a hot topic of debate in Parliament. And something certainly as, as you know, as, as an IPP, um, or at least involved in the, in the IPP sector, we really hope, uh, comes to fruition. 
Uh, with regards to the present situation, uh, there, is a, there is a renewable energy independent power producer program which does presently exist in South Africa and has been hugely successful in procuring uh, at the moment up to about just over 3,000 megawatts, 3 gigawatts of renewable energy over the last three years. So there, there is an example of at least a system which can and does actually work. And, and those projects, there's about over 60 projects which have been given license to, to construct, and, and some of them have finished construction, some of them are, ju- are just busy finishing, and some of them will finish very shortly. So we will be seeing certainly in the next uh, in the next year or so uh, multiple projects now connected up, uh, uh, independent power producer products connected up to the South African grid. Uh, unfortunately, that system is still uh, linked to ESCOM in a way because ESCOM owns the transmission and distribution networks. Mm-hmm. So they are uh, full con- in full control, and at the moment they procure the power, albeit with a guarantee from the Treasury. Uh, they are still at the moment responsible for the procurement of that power, and that goes to Lisa's point there again where it would be most ideal if, if that, in fact, the single buyer's office was split away from ESCOM. Um, and then allowed independently, completely independently, to procure power from from any independent power producers, which which may be able to produce energy. I'm interested in how this will affect the price, um, the price of electricity in our country. We're going to come back to that. Uh, we're talking to Lisa Haraway, a researcher with the Free Market Foundation, and Simon Hall, co-founder of Aurora Power Solutions, and we're talking about uh, the price of electricity and the constantness, the reliableness of our electricity supply. The Talk Shop. This is the talk shop on SAFM 104 to 107. I am Masachaba Mdolo, and we're talking about electricity tonight with uh, Lisa Haraway, a researcher with the Free Market Foundation, and Simon Hall, co-founder of Aurora Power Solutions. We're asking the question, can South Africa ensure an adequate supply of electricity at an affordable price? Simon, you were talking about um, the efforts of ESCOM uh, uh, together with uh, the independent um, uh, producers and how you know there is a lot of support going on but the ideal situation of course would be for the independent producers to be truly that independent how would this affect the price of electricity look i mean i think in terms of having independent power producers one of the, the major um, benefits of that is that that you're, you're asking the market to compete on a power price you know at the moment um as has already been pointed out we're sitting in a monopoly situation where there's one entity that generates all the energy in South Africa. Um, well, obviously, that now, now, now with this REIPP program, that has changed slightly, but the majority of the, of the, of the power, of course, is still uh, generated for, through ESCOM. And that brings a number of complications, obviously, in terms of the, the, what that price energy should actually be. And, and the ESCOM is, is held by the, the INERSA, which is the National Energy Regulator of South Africa, in mm-hmm. terms of checking the, what power prices they are putting forward um, through their multi-year price determinations. But um, you know the, the, the inclusion of independent power producers through a program like, like the one that the, the renewable energy in, uh, has in, in introduced now uh, on a much grander scale would certainly, in my opinion, lead to uh, much more competitiveness and therefore price reduction. But can we trust that NERSA will ensure that uh, we continue to get at least affordable electricity? Lisa, let's come back to you. I mean, we've seen NERSA consistently dealing with uh, appeals and applications from ESCOM to increase the electricity price hike. And although they have been holding on for a while, it 
it looks like we, we will never get to a point of the past where we had cheap electricity. Masichaba, um, I very much agree with, uh, with Simon. And I just want to point out that um, since 2009, we have had way above inflationary price increases. And the problem here is that the prices are determined, they are cost-reflective. Um, the costs, it means the costs are covered, ESCOM's costs are covered, plus a bit more. And we don't know what the costs are. They're not transparent. And we do know that they contain a lot of inefficiencies. We've seen these inefficiencies, operational inefficiencies with the um, delays in the Madupi and Kusili plants. We know that ESCOM has inflated um, salaries. Um, if employees want to go, you can ask any headhunter, if employees who are unhappy at ESCOM try and find... Um, alternative employment, they're not able to match their salaries. So all these inefficiencies drive up the cost of our electricity. And the only way to get a real price for our electricity would be to have a whole lot of um, private companies or private and state-owned companies competing together in a market um, and um, getting rid of these inefficiencies and um, uh, giving us a market-related price. But are we saying that nurses is not looking at all those factors when they approve the um, or, or sometimes even when they don't approve the hike that's been requested by Eskim, but uh, uh, you know provide a much lower hike. Are we saying that they're not looking at all these factors? Um, no, we're saying they caught uh, in between a rock and a hard place. Really, mm. uh, they Eskom they can't shut they can't shut Eskom down. Um, because then we won't have any electricity. Absolutely. And they can't give uh, unlimited price increases because it won't be fair on the, the electricity consumers. So really the But only as the energy regulator, do not do they not have the mandate to be able to say this is not related to electricity generation and power supply? So these particular costs, we, th- we recommend strongly that you pare them down so that at least South Africans are assured of... Uh, consistent um, electricity supply and affordable electricity supply. With, without doubt, that is what they should do. But whether ESCOM will be able to come to the party and operate efficiently is another question. And um, I'm coming from the viewpoint that they've, they've had years of, of really proving that they, ha- they have too many operational inefficiencies and perhaps it is time now to open the market to competition so that independent uh, private producers are allowed to compete. It will be a huge boost to our economy. It will ensure supply. It will bring the cost down because it will be market-related costs. It will create employment opportunities for people. I've, if I've, I've, I've basically done um, extensive studies of the UK, New Zealand, mm-hmm. Chile, Brazil, and all these markets, um, they have brought down their costs. As soon as they've liberalized it, allowed competition, deregulated, and, and most important is given a consumer a choice. So you know your market is operating properly and healthily when your consumers have a choice of which electricity supplier they would like to buy from. And if they're not happy, then they can switch. So give us the um, examples of, of uh, your findings in terms of Chile and Brazil, please. Um, Chile was one of the first indust- electrical industries that liberalized. Um, they, they have very difficult circumstances in that um, it's a very large country with a, a small population, a large grid, 
um, they have earthquakes, they've got a fair amount of hydro, but very little other natural resource. They have to, they're reliant on, on, on gas importations. And um, they've actually been very successful. They privatized the whole industry. Um, but government does still, uh, is, is, it's quite heavily regulated by government. Um, I think against all odds, they've been very successful. Brazil, on the other hand, has a slightly different situation. They have a very large country, very large uh, area that needs to be covered. They have abundant resources. They have abundant gas um, uh, onshore and offshore fields. Um, they have wind, renewable uh, energy resources. They have a lot of hydro, but their whole industry structure is, is designed um, that so in a way where hydro um, is given preference and hydro normally meets a hundred percent of the demand but give a, a few years of under uh, of less than average rainfall and the country has a problem because they've made it uncompetitive for other industries to operate uh, other other um, sources of, of they, they have got a profina um, which is a renewable energy um, a program which they are supporting and which mm -hmm. is highly subsidized but once again if industry is subsidized then it's you're not the industry is not competitive anymore and um, one very non new zealand has managed oh, to make I want to come back to New Zealand and I yeah. just want to come back to um, Brazil in yeah. terms of the role of government in uh, the electricity supply and, and uh, is it wholly privatized as well there we are talking to Lisa Haraway who comes from the Free Market Foundation she, she is a researcher and uh, Simon Ho also joining us on the line co-founder of Aurora Power Solutions and we're talking about electricity supply The Talk Shop this is the talk shop on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. I am Masachaba Mdolo. I'm talking about regulate electricity supply at an affordable price with Lisa Haraway, researcher with the Free Market Foundation, and Simon Hall, co-founder of Aurora Power Solutions. Just before the break, Lisa, we were talking about the situations in Chile and uh, Brazil and the comparisons that you've made um, looking at the South African situation. Brazil is it also privatized? Brazil is, Brazil is partially privatized. The government plays a substantial role in the energy sector. Um, generation, which is uh, which is mostly hydro, is dominated by the state. And Electrobus, which is a state-controlled company, is the dominant player in the market. Mm -hmm. um, Brazil is facing incredible demand, growing demand. It is estimated in the next 10 years that they're going to have to add an additional capacity of 3 to 5 um, gigawatts of capacity to their uh, uh, industry um, and but there are various um, issues structural issues that prohibit the issue the, the industry from expanding as it should one being that uh, they always dispatch hydro first and so they make it uncompetitive for for uh, thermal to operate in in normal years and the other is that Petrobus which is a government controlled entity also controls the supply and the price of gas so it's very difficult for these um, small independent private producers to get hold of the raw material the gas um, at an affordable and competitive price um, the district Distribution networks are privatized, mostly privatized, about 70% privatized, and they compete not, uh, they compete not with each other, but they compete for concessions, not for customers. 
Um, there are two markets that is, exist alongside one another. There's a large free market mm-hmm. um, for large use, not large, uh, for large users, users that consume a lot of electricity um, industries and such, which uh, consists of 30% of the market. And then the household consumers and small commercial um, consist of the other 70%, and they have no choice in their electricity supplier. So the, the, the large industrial consumers can buy on the electricity market, and generally their prices are, are, are lower, quite, quite a lot lower than the household consumers and this market is growing at a phenomenal rate and they expect within the next two years that it'll increase to 50 percent um the household market is 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 highly regulated mm-hmm. there's huge electricity theft and illegal hookups um up to 20 percent of the electricity is, is stolen around the santiago region and um, they're currently introducing smart meters to try and combat this problem and to try and detect whether illegal hookups are happening um their market mechanism, they don't have, uh, whereas uh, Chile has a spot market and bilateral contracts, they have a, a system of auction, reverse auctions. And uh, they have auctions for old energy, which is the existing, the, the hydro. And then they have auctions for new energy, where they try, on bring, try and bring on new producers um, into the uh, market by offering, say, three or five year contracts. Um, where they have that amount of time to start producing and deliver the energy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, there is, but the industry is really highly regulated, and mm-hmm. they do have an incredible uh, problem with with supply, uh, you know, in in drought. And I know you wanted to touch on the New Zealand issue, but I'm looking at Brazil and Chile because of the emerging market um, situation. When we, the South African situation, is it not different? to your international markets uh, that you've looked at. And I'm going to come to you with regards to the Simon Hall. And say so in South Africa, we know that there were um, there was a large body of people that were excluded from infrastructure planning, from electricity supply. And can we afford to then say, let's privatize, and this neglected sector will continue to be focused upon? Yes, I think we can. I think the, you know, the time is of the essence to do so. I mean, if you look back... That the history of ESCOM is, uh, I suppose, quite an interesting one. I mean, over the 70s, through the 70s, 80s, and 90s, their tariffs were extremely low. Um, most of the increases they were given were sort of below inflation increases, mm-hmm. and there were multiple reasons for that. They wanted to attract business. There was political instability in the country, and and they did quite well to increase large energy users. I mean, to attract large energy users to come and set up shop in South Africa. Um, but you know, subsequent to that, obviously, the, the, they haven't re- reinvested in that in, in the energy sector as quickly as they should. So the, the prices, have, as as we mentioned, don't actually represent the cost of the energy. Mm-hmm. And so there is definitely uh, uh, certainly now a window to change that to to allow the single buyer's office to be created to allow more competition. And, and this renewable energy program really does set a good example to, to what can happen. I mean, if you look at the price decreases in that program just over three years from the initiation of the program to, to where we sit today, I mean, right now we're looking at uh, large-scale solar prices, which are in the range of 80 to 95 cents. We're looking at wind power, which can be can be procured from, say, uh, 60 to 70 cents. Um, and, you know, if you look at what ESCOM dispatches, it's it's uh, coal, that is, new coal, it, it probably is between the range of 95 and one rand. 
Um, and that and that really, you know, those external effects of of, of coal are high in terms of the, the, the social impact, the mm-hmm. the, uh, the costs of of CO2, as we all know. I mean, this global warming debate now, which is hot, which is hotting up. We're really, you know, if you look at the emission factor of the ESCOM grid, you're looking at about a ton of CO2 per, per megawatt hour. So there are a number of reasons why I think it, it needs to change. I mean, we have a 90% of dependency actually on on coal in terms of the utility from the utilities perspective, and that that just by itself is. Is worrying. I mean, you need to have uh, energy security. You need to have a diversification of generation assets, um, and this, this this mechanism of of allowing the, the market to open through a single buyer's office and independent power producers to come um, and set up shop um, is something which would really allow the, the creation of proper energy security and a diversification of of generation assets. But it has to be done in a manner where the regulations um, are, are such to, that are, that are enable. Uh, direct foreign investment mm-hmm. for, for, for companies to come and actually set up shop in this country and they can see a long-term visibility to, to success. I want to talk about the delays in uh, opening up um, Kusile and Midupi and talk about how much this is costing us um, as consumers, not uh, particularly government or, or, or ESKIM, but us as consumers. Uh, Gerald in Durban, I'm going to be taking your call when we come back. The Talk Shop. This is the talk shop on SAFM 104-107. I am Masachaba Mdolo. We're talking electricity, regular electricity supply and affordable electricity supply tonight with Lisa Haraway, researcher with the Free Market Foundation and Simon Hall, a co-founder of Aurora Power Solutions. 0891-104-207 is the number to dial to join our conversation. 0891-104-207 or SMS us on 34701. SMS number is 34 7001 and SMSs are charged at two rand. Gerald and Durban, good evening to you and welcome onto the talk shop. Hi, Mr. Chavo. My comment is just this as long as these state enterprises are being used by entities like Chancellor House and other politically connected to uh, line the pockets of uh, the connected people in this country, there's no way that any state enterprise is ever going to be forced to compete because the kind of margins that these people are taking out of these state enterprises where they don't have to go through the same transparency process as they would if it was a proper government entity would never allow them to compete. And one only has to look at the cost of those power stations. We could have built them for a quarter of the price, but everyone's pocket had to be lined along the way. And uh, it doesn't matter what state entity it is, whether it's SABC, the SAA, they all lose money hand over fist, would never compete in the private sector. And, and uh, you know, people like Chancellor House are making money hand over fist and everyone has a good holiday at Julie House. Gerald and Durban, thank you very much for the call. Uh, concern has been raised around the state of our state-owned enterprises and uh, we've spoken about this in the past. I think it's time for another look at where we are and how they're coming along and if some of the suggested reforms are being implemented. Hailey in Johannesburg, good evening to you and welcome onto the talk shop. Hi, good evening, ma'am, to you and to the listeners. I think this is a very important topic for everyone who lives in this country. So that means the ESCOM is monopolizing or controlling the power. Look at how the power, electricity affects, you know, when we run even the small business, uh, we can't get enough uh, power. So that is, you know, the economic hindrance for the coming future of the country's economy. So the country must have enough power to upgrade and to invest in a mm. wherever, from small investors to the big investors. 
the power is very important. And according to the economy, the majority is poor in this country. You know, maybe 75 to 80 percent population are poor. So the first, second, and the third class economy, most people are not coping with the ESCOM trial tariff hiking. It's a very high and expensive. Uh, I see some of the municipalities, you know, we, de- we pay the rate and the taxes. Mm. Even the taxes are very expensive, like you paying the bond, the tax itself. Like some of the, you know, SA, you know, provinces, I don't want to mention some, you know, you can see and they investigate. So they charge, overcharge into the, according to the land usage, the high tax, high electricity. They exploit the poor. So why can't we invest into the variety of the sources of the energy, like wind and the solar, okay. Highly so that we can compete with them? Thank you. Thank you very, very much for the call. I think there is investment taking place, as Simon Hoy said, into renewable energy. It's how much investment and, uh, um, you know, how independent are these independent producers of renewable energy? These are the questions that we need to keep on asking. Um, I've got a, a, an SMS coming in um, that says, uh, my take is if NERSA cannot regulate Eskim's increases um, because some of uh, its employees could have shares in ESCOM. Um, I'm not sure about the shares because we are talking about a state-owned entity. But uh, I, I, I hear you where you're coming from in terms of CADA deployment and, you know, um, who's running these state-owned entities. I hear you with regards to those particular aspects. Another SMS, this one is coming in from Ivan, who says, ESCOM's own experts advised prioritizing power from the Congo River project, but ESCOM's management has opted for the nuclear option. Why is this and how does this affect the price increases? And uh, um, Ivan goes on to ask on the privatization question, does government refuse to privatize these semi-government bodies because it wants to retain the high salary positions of its cadres? That's a question that's being asked by Ivan. I want to talk about uh, the Congo River project and um, the nuclear option, Simon. Where are we with regards to uh, nuclear energy? Yeah, look, I'm not an expert on, on, on nuclear. Um, mm. in, uh, yeah, just in terms of just in terms of the Congo, I think uh, that that has been a complicated project, which which has been going on for for quite some time. I mean, there's is now a multinational agreement which is in place between our country um, and the Congo, and in order for in order for us to start progressing that. But that has been something which has has got an immense amount of difficulties to overcome, not only uh, cross boundary, but also just geographically in terms of you know what they actually have to how they how big they have to build that dam, and obviously how big the river is. Uh, with regards to yeah, with regards to nuclear, I think uh, that, that is that is, a, is is definitely going to be a hot debate coming up. I mean, I think mm. as most people, especially after the Russia agreement that's just but, been signed, the yeah, I mean, Russia, it, yeah. It, there are lots of different agreements and uh, well, floating around potential agreements, I guess, in, in the mix. But I mean, it is, it, is, it is quite a regulated way in which this, this energy does get procured in South Africa. There's a, an integrated resource plan which, which the, the Department of Energy does put forward, and that plan uh, specifically outlines, outlines what uh, the country wants to procure, what type of technology the country wants to procure uh, from. And that is open for, for public debate, and, and the, the IRP 2010 has has been recently um, uh, debated upon. So there was there was a, a number of council sessions where the public could come and put forward their views. We are waiting for the amended or updated version of that, which okay. will be very interesting because obviously the public is able to put forward their views on nuclear power and whether they want it or not. And then and the government then has to respond accordingly. But that plan does actually put forward how they intend procuring the power. There is, there is nuclear power in that energy at the moment in that plan. Um, it's, it's 
it's sort of towards 2020 to 2030 because nuclear has a huge amount of lead time. It's very, very costly. But it's not something that just started now. Remember there was the Pebble Bed uh, nuclear reactor, I think it was called, and there was a lot of money that was put into investing it, uh, investing in it uh, and and exploring that option. And then, you know, along the way, it it was put on hold. And uh, Lisa? Yes, sorry. So, sorry, um, Lisa? No, I, I don't know anything about um, that particular project, but all I want to say is that with all these sort of vendor financing models and these agreements that, that the government are making with these, uh, uh, with the Russians, it, basically they are agreeing to buy a certain amount of electricity at a price. And I'm saying that we don't know what the right price of our electricity is because we don't have a competing market. So we might be agreeing to highly inflated prices. I mean, in the UK, they've made an agreement to, uh, with, uh, to, to buy nuclear at twice the current price of electricity. Um, so it, that's not competitive. Um, until we have operating, until we have a market that operates efficiently, we actually don't know what the real price of our electricity is. So any price purchasing PPA that they are contracting with any other party is not does not reflect the true price and the electricity pricing policy I mean does is this not a a transparent uh, process um, as far as I know, the electricity is priced um, is cost reflective pricing, and it's it's uh, we we don't we don't see a breakdown of of ESCOM's costs, so we don't know where they aren't transparent in the first place, and the second place, the costs are not reflective of what the the energy should be charged at because of all the inf- inefficiencies. Simon, the electricity pricing policy is this not transparent enough to to get us to understand where these costs are coming from? Yeah, look, I mean, I think there is, there is a, a, a very standard mechanism that is followed. I mean, there's a multi-year price determination is uh, a mechanism that ESCOM has to go through in order to apply for a tariff increase from NERSA. Mm-hmm. And that is a very diligent and detailed mechanism, and that, and that information is publicly available. And if you, if you search for it, you'll find it. Obviously, as Lisa points out, maybe to, to every nth degree, we don't know exactly how they put that together. And there, there are definitely question marks asked by the industry on some of the numbers they put forward, but it, but it certainly is quite a comprehensive package on, you know, what what they what are they going to do with these tariff increases? How are they going to actually recover the, the operational costs through the tariff increase? What what percentage of those costs are going to go into, or the tariff increase will go towards new build generation? How much of it will be used for, for raising capital, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. So they they do, they do have a plan. It is quite transparent. And NERSA, I mean, we have to give them credit. They they have they have really applied um, their own due diligence to that plan. They didn't give uh, ESCOM the increase that they first wanted, the 16% increase. They only gave them 8%. Now, now we're finding that there's this whole clawback, uh, which is now presently in, in process and being spoken about, where ESCOM has said, "Well, I told you so. We actually we did need that money because we 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 we, we had to run our open cycle turbines, which, by the way, are burning diesel, which are incredibly expensive, and therefore you know we should be able to." Recover some of this this money from you, so that in, now that's going to settle around probably 11 to 13 percent increase year on year. And, and the mechanism. And, and the, the delays on Kusile and Mudubi, how much are they costing us as consumers? I mean, the direct the direct cost. I don't, I don't actually know the actual direct cost of, of what it is uh, to consumers, but it's certainly. Uh, for, for every, uh, what I do know is for every percent uh, that ESCOM doesn't get in that tariff increase, they're potentially losing 25 billion rands worth of revenue, which which, which would help them cover some of those those, those, those increased costs. And I think the, you know well, one of the callers did point out that there, there was there was definitely inefficiencies in, in how these these, ten, these tenders have been uh, mm. managed, and mm. I think. 
you know, that, that, is, that is a question mark. You know, it is, is, the, is, this, is the country actually getting benefit from, from these projects? Is it happening quick enough? If you look at the renewable energy industry, they're able to build uh, more power in a quicker time. And then this is points again to the, to the whole uh, restructure in the, in the IPP market. I'm looking at SMSs coming in. Nikki Mitchell in Mahudering says, as it stands, Eskom's capacity and financial means will force it to charge these high tariffs and look for better future options. Um, another SMS, this one is coming in from Bobby, and Bobby is at groundwork.org.za. He says, we just signed a 100 billion rand nuclear agreement with Russia a few hours ago. Centralized high-cost energy such as nuclear will not support poverty reduction. And... Uh, Stephen Msalera um, uh, in KZN says, I'm paying 800 rand on electricity only, yet my house is so small. These delays, Lisa, how uh, much are they costing? Well, the original estimate from Madupi was quoted at, at 52 billion rand. And as a result of these longer than expected construction time costs of completion of Madupi is expected to increase to at least 150, 105 billion rand. But that does not even include the interest during construction, which is another 30 billion rand. And the cost of the, the, cost of the flue gas desulfurization plant, which is estimated another 10 to 15 billion. And accumulated penalties that are just short of 2 billion that have been um, paid to Exoro for coal that it hasn't even delivered. I mean, this is easily going to cost us 150 billion at the end of the day. So 150 billion for a 4,700 164 megawatt plant um, equates to 31.4 million rand per megawatt. So it's probably the most expensive coal-fired power station in the world. Um, this is also without, we haven't here even looked at the op- opportunity cost of the additional six months delay mm-hmm. on the cost of unserved energy. This, is, this incorporates the losses suffered by the inco- economy as a whole due to the unavailability of energy. Um, you know, this, if the additional cost of approximately 100 billion rand over and above the originally quoted 52 billion, um, and you have know, four and a half years of revenue loss from a 464 megawatt station at a conservative estimate of 50 cents a kilowatt, this will translate into a loss of revenue of 84 billion rand. Um, you know, we, uh, this could have been used and said to offset the steep electricity price increases. And, and these upgrades, these, uh, um, uh, uh, I know that also power stations are being shut down for servicing. Um, in, in the suggested model where we privatize, would the private sector then be um, looking at uh, the upgrades, ensuring that uh, the infrastructure development is taking place? Well, the the model of, of privatization is really that the 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 private entity makes enough to cover its cost and obviously to um, also to fund its infrastructure its its investment costs as would any other company or any other any other private company. So, um, it's only in that in the company's interest to make sure that it is upgrading and keeping up to date um, because otherwise there's no market for and its building product. infrastructure as well and build infrastructure. Otherwise, uh, you know they they they've the investment is lost. So it's, it's their personal interest. You were talking about the New Zealand model and uh, I focused on the Chile and Brazil. In New Zealand, the sector is not completely privatized. You've got government playing a role, but the independent producers are exactly that, independent. Am I correct? The, they've got government and, um, and uh, private industry 
competing alongside each other. Mm-hmm. What's very interesting about this sector is that there is really minimal government intervention and regulation. They have electricity authority, which is an independent crown, in, crown entity, which means that it is really independent of government policy. And its job is not to regulate. Its job is to facilitate. It's to make sure that that uh, the the producers who connect to the grid uh, comply to certain safety standards or certain technical standards. So it's more a compliance and governance job mm-hmm. and they facilitate they, they, they facilitate the process rather than regulating it. And this is what ma- has made it so very successful. Um, I think it's the lack of government intervention and uh, political objectives. Um, that's one very important uh, uh, thing. They, 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 uh, New Zealand has been um, the given the, the top spot is the most active electricity market in the world, meaning that its switching processes are so effective. Uh, people have up to nine different uh, suppliers that they can choose from, 24-hour switching processes. The companies that they want to switch to facilitate this whole process for them. They have uh, they, you can you can buy electricity on the spot market, or you can do it with bilateral contracts. All the contracts are transparent if you would like to support renewable energy there's a mark there's a company that particularly sells only renewable energy it might be at a slightly uh, it might not not be price competitive but you have a choice you have a choice i would like to support them so i'm prepared to pay a little bit more and then i'll buy you know i'll buy renewable energy or even if if we're talking about renewable energy i see these private companies saying we will subsidize in the same way that eskom is trying to subsidize with regards to the solar geysers and all that yes. um, I, I can see them saying we'll subsidize because at the end of the day as you're saying they're investing in their business exactly and and they as long as the company is carrying the cost of subsidization that's perfectly fine and you know making them competitive but the issue will always be but what about the poor i mean in south africa at the moment we do have an indigent policy that looks at uh, you know um what happens to poor people in this country as highly said earlier on uh, unemployment rate is absolutely shocking the levels of people living beyond the bread line is concerning so what will then happen to the poor that have had electricity rolled out but uh, it's now privatized will they still be able to afford it will there still be packages that consider um, their situations and, and, and you know their economic constraints well what we see in the New Zealand market and we see it you see it in Australia and even in the UK Okay, is uh, the model is decentralizing. So a lot of consumers are buying solar uh, panels for their rooftops, um, which uh, which can be either subsidized by a company for them. Uh, which they can buy themselves. Um, solar panels are becoming ever more efficient and cheaper with China producing solar panels now and more cost effective. And they're actually um, taking care of their own electricity needs. And not only are they, not doing, are they doing that, they're also in some areas reselling excess electricity that they have back onto the grid. You know, and and profiting in in that way. So this decentralised model is 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 very appealing okay. for for uh, communities that are um, economically deprived. Mm-hmm. We've spoken about various options that uh, ESCOM and government could look at in terms of ensuring a steady supply of electricity at an affordable price. Thank you so much to our guest. Joining us on the line, Simon Hall, co-founder of Aurora Power Solutions and uh, Lisa Haraway, researcher with the Free Market Foundation joining us here in our Johannesburg studios. Unfortunately, we've run out of time. We'll definitely be picking up on this again 
in the near future and probably uh, call in NURSA as well and really open up the discussion around how much does electricity cost and what will it cost us to look at various models, whether it be your uh, privatization wholly or even um, decentralize it, as Lisa says, and the various other options that have been put on the table looking at what's happening in other countries. Thank you so, so much to our two guests. That's how we wrap it up.